Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's successful real estate professional as they share it with you. Let's go. A quick word from our sponsor, The Door Devil. Homeowners spend hundreds on alarm systems each year, but rarely reinforce the weakest point on the home, the doors. Bad guys know this, and that's why kick-ins are so common. Simply adding door devils virtually eliminates the home security gap. Sleep better tonight. Reinforce your doors. Visit doordevil.com and enter best ever to get an exclusive 20% discount on your purchase. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Al Williamson. Hi, Al. Hello, Joe. Welcome to the show, and I'm excited to have you, and I know the Best Ever listeners are going to get a lot out of this. A little bit about Al before he gets into his background in more detail. He is a professional civil engineer. He is an author. He's authored a book called Building Wealth with Inner City Rentals. He's been a landlord since 1996, and currently he owns two homes, one eight-unit, and is a partial owner in a commercial building. So with that being said, Al, can you give the best-ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Oh, sure. Uh, just a long-term buy-and-hold type of guy. So I don't like a lot of excitement. I like that, like the cash flow. Um, I'm pretty enthralled with force appreciation. You know, finding ways to increase the cash flow of uh, the rental you already own. So I, I love uh, brainstorming and coming up with ways like that, things like that. Um, I'm a big believer that landlords uh, offer a lot of solutions to neighborhoods. So. I uh, focus on uh, improving the neighborhood that my rentals uh, are in, and um, I really enjoy that. I, I think I'm built to be a landlord. And when you say you're focused on improving the neighborhoods that your properties are in, that's really interesting because a lot of uh, landlords will identify a neighborhood and then purchase in the neighborhood because it's a good neighborhood or it's an up-and-coming neighborhood, but they don't really put a lot of focus in actually – uh, helping that revitalization. What do you do specifically to help that? Well, the, the reason neighborhoods are good is because there's a leader involved. There's someone championing the, the um, standards and holding people accountable. So that's what I do. Um, I, I, I like leading. I think um, the, the, whole, the whole neighborhood benefits when someone calls in a, a burnt-out light or they're if there's something that's below standard, that they'll call people on it. Not not anything can go in the neighborhoods that I'm in. So based on your experience as a landlord and um, as an author of How to Build Wealth with Inner City Rentals, uh, which is pretty <laughs> interesting, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? It would be that you really need the screen for three times the rent no sob stories, and to never be desperate to fill a vacancy. So that means you got to have reserves. And what do you mean by screen for three times the rent? You want to make sure your applicant, if you have a vacancy, you want to make sure your applicant, have, their gross income is three times what your asking rent is. And so you know that they can cover any expenses and you know they have a little cushion themselves. So they're, they're not going to 
hit hit a bump in the road and not be able to pay you because uh, that starts this death spiral. What mar- What markets do you? In- I know you live in California. What markets yes. do you invest in? I'm in I'm in the Sacramento market. That's every, anything within a um, a 15 minute drive of my home, wherever I'm living. That would be my focus. And how is the rental demand for that area? You know, um, it did start off hot, but right now Sacramento is doing really good. Low, I think we're like 6.6 unemployment rate, um, which is which is great for a landlord. You know, we there's room for us to to raise rents. And in fact, in my area, there there are very few vacancies. So I have some civil engineer friends. And I am going to mention a stereotype, and you tell me if this is true. Or, <laughs> you tell me if this is true or not. Okay. Civil engineers tend yeah. to analyze and analyze and analyze the numbers. Um, and when you're, well, first off, is that a fair generalization? I usually don't do generalizations, but is that a fair generalization? I say yes. That's what we're paid to do for sure. Okay. We, gotta, we have to minimize risks, especially when uh, people's lives are under the line. Absolutely. So that's important that that's the case. Now that you yeah. you you position it that way, I, I'm set up for something. You're leading me, leading the witness, Your Honor. <laughs> so with that being said, you're right, and and obviously this civil engineer that we're t- we're speaking to is very perceptive too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that being said, how do you analyze a property that you're going to purchase? Okay. Well, you know, I, I look, so you got to you, know, you run all the numbers like just about anyone would do and, um, and to make sure that it's, it's cash flowing once you have um, accounted for everything. And that's a long conversation there about, you know, your taxes and vacancy rates and making sure you have reserves and everything. So you want it to be cash flowing. Most landlords are going to be looking for $100 per month per unit of net income. You know, if you get that, you got a winner. But I, I go before, above that because um, I'm looking for areas that I can affect with uh, my leadership. Because um, you know, once a neighborhood hook is hot, that's when people are willing to pay a premium for. Uh, I'm sure there's a neighborhood around your house that is considered really nice, and people pay you know a little bit above market to get into that neighborhood. The same thing goes for lower-end neighborhoods. People will discount their prices because of the neighborhood's reputation. So I know I can, uh, taking some easy steps, that I can improve the neighborhood and and capture the equity just uh, based on showing some leadership. This is is really fascinating because you're saying that you can improve the neighborhood – through certain steps, and we're going to get into these steps, uh, and that will help the value of your property. I don't think anybody would disagree that an improved neighborhood helps the value of the property, but what I find fascinating is that you're saying you can force the improvement of the neighborhood through your XYZ tactics, and we'll talk about that, um, and that will increase the value. So what do you do specifically to improve a neighborhood? That increases the value of the property. So, you know, this, this stuff is painfully obvious to you, but I'm going to break it down for you. First, you got to make sure the neighborhood looks just like the Hilton. You know, no trash on the ground ever, and, and just holding that standard. Um, 
you know, I always propose that, or suggest that you're the biggest landlord in the area that you, you know, you go into just buying up something big or enough properties so that you have some um, um, influence or some juice, you know, so people recognize you as a player. And, and then start insisting on some things to make the neighborhood better. No trash. Hey, uh, let's, let's get together and get a landscaper to, to mow these lawns. It's all, you know, basically like an association. Um, help people um, lower their expenses, neighbors, so that all the lawns look good on the block. One thing that's super effective is just ordering a, a dumpster. There's usually most cities will have a um, dump run once a year that allow you to put so many things out on the on the front for them to pick up. Does that happen in your neighborhood? Uh, well, I, I I live in the East Village in New York City, so it's a bit of an anomaly where I live. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, one thing I do is I uh, have uh, mostly – there's mostly renters and no one's doing that. So um, I order a, a large 40-yard dumpster, have it placed in front of my apartment buildings and and put a sign on it telling people to throw their junk in it. So it's, it's encouraging the, to – everyone has junk in their house that they want to get rid of, something big that they want to get rid of that needs to go to the junk, to the dump. So they throw it in there and you don't get um, – nearly anything in the alleyways are people trying to uh, discard their things because give them a legitimate way of meeting their needs. So, and it costs nothing. The city provides that for free. They, they pretty much owe that to the, to the neighbors as part of paying their um, city sewer, water and garbage bill. It just takes uh, someone to, to initiate for the, for the, for that block. Okay. So you're, you have good in, and by you, I mean us. So we have good intentions. We want yes. to revitalize the neighborhood. Yes. Who do we go to uh, to start this process of saying, hey, everyone, I think it would be great if we uh, had uh, less trash on the ground. I think you all, all would agree. Um, okay. So we should have a dumpster uh, day where there's a dumpster that the city provides and we all put our stuff in there. And also I think – um, as I'm sure you all would agree, we should have the common area mowed more frequently uh, right. so that it looks better. And we should plant some daisies on the side uh, of the road because that looks better too. So who yeah. do you go to uh, when you enter a new town um, to have that conversation? Well, the, the town I'm looking for, I'm looking for a, uh, an area that's designated as a revitalization area. So the, I don't want to start from scratch. It's too much effort to start momentum you know, get momentum from scratch, from a dead stop. See, it needs to have at least something in place. So there's already a structure. Uh, there's political people that want to look good. There's um, police officers that have um, outreach um, officers right there. And then it's a process of uh, uh, building trust with the neighbors. And, and that means um, doing what you're going to say, also having um, connecting them to you know, solving some of the problems. I would start off with, uh, if I was starting in a new neighborhood, I would start off with just ordering a dumpster from uh, a large dumpster and putting it there and putting a sign there. I don't have to ask anybody for that. Um, I'm, I'm encouraging people to, to participate, and they, and they will because there's a pent-up need that they have. And what happens is when they're, you know, there's a lot to this. They're actually following an instruction that I've given them to meet their need, and they realize, and they're grateful for it. So that's a great way to 
to uh, build a relationship with neighbors that you ha- may be meeting for the first time. Okay, so, so and that makes sense. Um, so at this point, we've identified an area as uh, an area of revitalization because it's designated that, correct? Correct. And it's de- real quick. How is it? De- where do you find areas that are designated that? Um, city website. You know, okay. everyone should know the revitalization zones of the of their of their neighborhood. Absolutely. Okay, so you can find that on the city website. You yep. have reached out to the contact person for the revitalization effort, and you've given some suggestions about uh, what could be done. It's implemented. So now let's talk about dollars and cents. What have you found specifically with an example of a property that you've had okay. uh, um, that has uh, increased in value from pre-revitalization efforts on your part to post? Well, I got two examples. I've gone through two revitalization successful ones. One was the first one as a three-unit building. This was back in 96. The, I didn't. I bought in because I thought the neighborhood would have potential, but I didn't do anything. I just caught the the, the wind of uh, all the other things that were going on, and the property did really, really well. So that was the first one. I thought was a lot of fun, and um, I thought, hey, you know, I I could probably do this more deliberately. So started off at 144, um, went to 500. No, 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 625. Sold at 625 because of revitalization. Um, the next one is uh, my apartment building. It was an eight-unit building. Um, rent started off at uh, three seventy-five, and uh, now I'm able to furnish the, the, the because the neighborhood's better. Um, more people consider, especially the medical center that's just up the street. They would never consider having uh, people live in the neighborhood, but now that it's um, improved and um, to where it is. That three seventy five rent, which was cash flowing for the, is now um, nine hundred per unit. That's great, and I mean clearly those are humongous jumps from buying it at one hundred forty four thousand, selling it at six hundred twenty five thousand. If I heard that correctly, right? Yes. Now the, a- the aplexes was bought up for three forty. I bought my house for more than that, <laughs> but it was a troubled neighborhood, though. What the aplex that you have now? Yes. Right. But but as far as the two examples that you mentioned, yes. 144,000 you purchased, sold at 625, yes. and then the other property that you mentioned, 375 and now at 900. The last so, thing 375 rents. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yep. Rent, rents. Um good clarification though. <laughs> um so in the some people some of the best ever listeners might be thinking that is fantastic. But yeah. Wouldn't that have already happened if you personally didn't do something? Because you mentioned for the 144 to 625 that you didn't really do anything. You just bought in the right area at the right time, it sounds like. That's Um, exactly right. So if you are an investor and you buy in the area at the right time, then is it basically the same thing as what you're mentioning now? That is such a good question. I love that question. Well, here's here's so here's two things. One is you can speed up what's going on, you know, adding to that flywheel by um, participating, either sending money to the people who are um, the neighborhood groups that are doing or giving you traction and, and 
helping you uh, raise your rents. Just small donations help help them every month, and, and also showing just a, a just a tiny bit of leadership for your block um, also speeds up the, the um, revitalization versus doing nothing and being passive and hoping that the good times keep rolling. The, the next thing is uh, you want to be the you want to be the epicenter once you're like say a multifamily owner. You want to be the center of the good things happening. You don't want to be on the on the cusp of that. And if ever, if the people around you are doing nothing, it's really easy to to outshine them. And it's just financially rewarding to to do that, especially if it's if things are are improving anyway. You want to be on the leading edge of that financially, so that you can. You know, you want to be in a position so you can sell into the strength and when, when there's a bunch of hype around your neighborhood, when people realize that um, the neighborhood has changed and it's better and, and the pendulum starts overswinging. You follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yep. That's the, that's the time they, you want to be pointed out as an example of what's good about that neighborhood and, 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 and cashing in on that. That makes a lot of sense, and I I find what you mentioned with your advice fascinating because I've never heard anyone say they that they actively uh, attempt to influence the appreciation and the revitalization of a market once they purchase. Usually, it's you buy a place and you make sure that you buy it the right area or the growing area, but usually people don't roll up their sleeve and get in there, and I imagine – you're also in a unique position uh, for most investors in that you live, as you said, within a very close proximity to your rentals. Um, so that's probably another reason uh, why investors might not do that, myself included, um, on an active basis. Uh, but I love that approach. You don't want to live too close to the neighborhood you're improving because you, you're going to lose influence. Coming in as an outsider actually gives you more leverage because you're seen as a celebrity and, and you can actually and um, the people the political pe- people and the, the whole uh, mechanism and um, has more respect for an outsider than they do for someone they have a lot of familiarity with so it's more profitable to work on an area that you you have some distance from are you ready for the best ever lightning round i am yes best ever book you've read cash flow quadrant that really changed or just framed the framework was just amazing to me. I loved it. Best ever personal growth experience and what you've learned from it. Being laid off in 1996. <laughs> I learned, I, I only want my salary, my W2 income to be one third of my income for my family. Best ever success habit you practice. Blogging and, and saying crazy things on my blog and then having to, to back it up somehow. Best ever deal you've done, and you might have already mentioned it. <laughs> yes, it, it was my Aplex building. Find it um, when it was all tore down with the cloud of uh, uh, city codes on it, and turning it around. Yeah. What's it worth right now? Do you think? Ooh, you know, there's nothing that that's generating this type of cash flow. I am in. There, other people are selling theirs for in the six hundreds, but uh, if you if you use that same cap. You know, I'm I'm well over that, but I have to uh, uh, run have my lease agreements in place for several years before my um, 
these these higher lease agreements in place before an appraiser will uh, give me credit for it. Best ever quote. You know, I really like Petit Philippe Philippe Petit's quote on um, it's it's impossible. That's for sure. So let's get working. Oh, I like that a lot too. I haven't heard that. It's very succinct, and I I think um, I love the approach of thinking. You know what? Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. Then all right, let's make it happen. Um, you know, that's how that's that's how I personally approach my life uh, and business. So I, I love that. Al, is there anything that we didn't talk about on today's call that you wanted to mention? Can I mention my upcoming book? Absolutely. Okay. I have an upcoming book on um, uh, ideas to help owners of, of multifamily and single-family homes squeeze more money out of their um, asset without raising rents. And this will probably tie into the book. What's the best ever place to reach you? Uh, the Leading Landlord blog. That's my blog. You'll catch me at um, leadinglandlord.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking about this very unique topic that I am confident I can interview 50 more guests and we won't come across this exact conversation again. Um, so it is, it's fascinating. And uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, if you're able to influence the revitalization of a neighborhood, why the heck not? If you're um, willing and able to do it, um, at the, uh, you're, you're helping everybody involved from the residents who are living there to you know, the other community members within that uh, county for tax purposes because as the values go up, taxes increase and everybody benefits and obviously from an investor's standpoint because you're making more money off of the value of your property. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then head to JoeFairless.com, where there are tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And if you want Joe to personally help you reach your goals, then go to the Work With Joe tab on JoeFairless.com and apply to, well, Work With Joe.